0: Hey, this is Chuck Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Property Podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work
1: What's going on, everybody? This is Eric Cole, and you may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, but I am not the voice that is normally doing the intro of this podcast. This is, of course, the Talking Chop podcast, episode number 234, if I'm counting correctly. Um, things We had to change things up a little bit this week. Uh, we had some uh, issues with scheduling. Brad was particularly busy with basketball starting back up. Uh, we also had Scott that was kind of you know dealing with the day job, so fortunately... Uh, I was very, I was very lucky to be able to get a guest for tonight's show. Uh, one of the the, the Braves luminaries, are both on Twitter, you can follow him on Twitter as well as on on radio. Uh, my good buddy Grant McCauley was able to join me this evening to talk some about the, about the Braves and all the things that have been going on this week. Grant, how are you, my friend?
2: I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: I appreciate you coming on. I know it's I know it's short notice, and I know that you're a busy guy, but you know there was a lot to talk about, and I wanted to make sure that we had uh, a voice that was both well plugged in as well to provide, provide some really uh, interesting kind of perspective on kind of what we're going to see going forward. Because we saw a lot of changes to this Braves roster this week. Uh, before we kind of get into all that injury news, obviously we had some you know we had the Braves the frontline guy Mike Soroka go down with a season ending injury. We also saw a couple of the guys go on the injured list. But before we kind of get into all that, you know, we're we're at, which is kind of wild to me, we're at like 20% into the season now. Um, Braves are 8-4. and four. They're currently playing the Blue Jays as we're recording this. Uh, you know, Sean Newcomb's doing his best to get himself out of a little bit of trouble here in the second inning. But I kind of want to get your thoughts on kind of what – um, what's going on with this season kind of in your mind, both in terms of like how, what, do you, what do you think of the Braves and kind of what do you think about them going forward, as well as kind of what do you think of how all this has operated in terms of with all these protocols and kind of how things have gone from kind of an execution standpoint?
2: Well, there's a lot, obviously, that's gone on this year. And I think more than anything, we knew there were going to be different challenges that were going to crop up over the course of the season, whether that's 162 games or 60 games. We knew there were going to be things, injuries and inconsistency, and we're going to see more of that over the next 50 games. That's just kind of how baseball works. But they're also trying to combat, you know, doing everything that they can to curtail the effect of COVID-19 on Major League Baseball, particularly here in Atlanta. We've been, knock on wood, pretty fortunate to not have the team have to hit pause on the season or anything like that. So, you know, as I've looked over the course of what two weeks that we've had the season, basically. I've seen some things that kind of have me concerned a little bit, but I do feel kind of a quiet confidence that if guys are taking this seriously and they're able to kind of learn from some of those mistakes and speed bumps we've seen in other cities, we should be pretty good to continue playing baseball. So that makes me feel good because I've been missing baseball quite a bit, obviously throughout the year, throughout the, the shutdown that we were dealing with the quarantine kind of the isolation. I'm sure we all feel without having sports in our life in a lot of ways, but when I look at the Braves, I, I think there's been a lot more good than bad. But of course, we've seen this week a couple of really challenging things in terms of the injury front. And I know we're going to get into all that, but it's a team that's been hitting. We've gotten some, I think, really good standout uh, production from Dansby Swanson, which is great to see. Marcelo Zuna has been, I think, better than advertised at the plate. And this Braves offense has you know, shown signs of life. And that I think is going to have to carry them for a while as they try to figure out what's going on in this rotation. and the bullpen is going to have to keep doing what it's done early on. And when they get Will Smith back, I think they're going to be in a pretty good place. But some question marks and, of course, a lot for us to talk about on this episode. But I feel uh, pretty confident that the Braves have to like where they're sitting right now, a couple of weeks into the year, from a standings perspective. But there's a whole lot of baseball left to be played, even in a short season.
1: Yeah, uh, if you'd asked me a week ago, I would have had a lot less optimism about that the season was going to finish because yeah. we had the Marlins that were like, a, it was a complete debacle with over half of their roster testing positive. And then you have the Cardinals that this is like, I guess about a, maybe it was not quite a week ago, but you know, we were just starting to see positive tests popping up on the St. Louis roster. And it seemed like there, there was going to be another outbreak just, just in St. Louis as well. And you, you start thinking like, how are we going to get through a season? If we can't get through the first You know, first few games without, you know, entire teams losing weeks of baseball. Like, you know, how is this ever going to happen? But today we did have the first day of like no new positive tests reported by Major League Baseball. Uh, Obviously, you know, this is just one day, but it kind of feels like people understand and players are understanding how much they're having to isolate themselves in order to prevent you being infected and you know really having to treat themselves like they're in a bubble uh, not and not and not breaking that because all it takes is one guy again just being asymptomatic but then all of a sudden they're in the locker room together and we have a situation where we saw in St. Louis or even with like the Marlins uh, where you get a bunch of guys infected and it impacts not just those teams but it impacts those that they expose and those that they would normally play against so I, again you asking me today I'm more confident I'm still it's still kind of wild to me that we are still trying to play baseball amongst all this. But I'm with you. Like I have missed baseball terribly. Other than the fact that obviously, like you know, this is a job for me and, a, lot, and it's a job for a lot of people, and a lot of people's employment. Even though we, you know, we are playing baseball, a lot of people's employment was affected by kind of how we're having to run things. You know, it's it really does affect everyone to not have that outlet and that source of entertainment, whether it be baseball. There's a lot of other sports, too. You know, just having that outlet while you're being isolated uh, from kind of the outside world that you would normally be able to interact with, it's very hard. Uh, and with the Braves, I'm, I'm with you. I'm gen- considering how much that Acuna and Ozzy and Freddie have struggled through these first three weeks. I mean, we've had, you know, Freddie had one really good game and Acuna is heating up, but but Ozzy has been, you know, not kind of pretty much not good from the start. But despite that, I mean, we've had Ozuna, Dansby Swanson's been kind of has been really been really, really good at the plate Uh, and we're getting contributions here and there from a lot of guys. I mean, this has been one of the better offenses in all of baseball. And you combine that with, you know, Max Freed being really good and the bullpen in particular being excellent. You know, this team looks pretty good. And obviously we have a lot of kind of uncertainty now, given some things that happened on the happened in the last few days. But overall, I mean, you have to kind of look in terms of just making a playoff spot, especially with expanded playoffs. Like, this is a team that should be in the thick of it, even with all the stuff that's happened to them.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the Braves are still, even with the injuries that they've been dealing with, with Mike Soroka going down and with Ozzie Albee, he's going to miss some time now. It's still a club that's one of the eight best teams in the National League. I don't think that part is in question just yet, but they've got three question marks in their rotation, at least maybe four now when you talk about losing Soroka. So, That's a question they're going to have to answer ongoing. Alex Anthopoulos is going to have to answer that question uh, as well because he's going to have to figure out in just over three weeks, I mean, this is the crazy pace of the season. We're going to be talking about the trade deadline, which is going to be very different this year than it's ever been. Uh, And who knows what that's going to mean for clubs deciding, well, we could maybe get into a playoff spot or maybe we're not in a position to take on money, maybe a combination of the two. I don't know how that's going to pan out, but. It's going to be intriguing to see how Alex Antopoulos tries to address the needs of his club. We've seen him be creative with some of his deals in the past, including making over the entire bullpen last year. But this is uncharted territory, to use that term that I think we could talk about the entire year of 2020 being uncharted territory. But offensively, how nice you don't face Jacob deGrom, I think you feel pretty good about what the Braves are doing this year. Uh, but you know, all joking aside, they're starting to show signs of life. I think we're seeing... Uh, with Ronald Acuna Jr., more of what we expected. And it's a little bit strange when you think about spending that much time off between spring training shutdown and trying to come back for a, a shortened summer camp. They called it with basically three weeks to get yourself ready, but no real exhibition schedule to speak of. I don't, I wasn't that alarmed that some of the guys struggled offensively speaking when they finally started facing guys who were really trying to get them out because they played for another team.
1: Well, absolutely, especially when you consider that like the first game of the season is Jacob Degrom throwing 92 mile an hour sliders and 100 mile an hour fastballs, and you had two weeks of camp. There's, I am mean, like, you know, there were people who were there, and, and then you know, then you have Tyler Glasnow kind of doing pretty much the same thing. You know, it's pitchers already had a bit of an advantage in the early parts of the season historically, and then when you combine that with you know a shorter camp, a, a really atypical sort of Situation regarding you know how much preparation and what kinds of preparation they were able to do and having to deal with all of these protocols. Like again, it wasn't surprising to see kind of these yeah. early season struggles. Um, and the, the trade deadline, I'm I'm with you. I'm fascinated by what's going to happen uh, at the trade deadline because I, I, my hunch is that we're just not going to see anywhere close to the number of deals, just because a lot of the teams that are, are that are going to be bad this year have been bad for a while so they're kind of running out of pieces that they can realistically trade and then all those middle of the road teams it's hard for me to envision that they're not going to at least uh, try to hold firm and see maybe they can sneak one of those last few playoff spots yeah it, it's, 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 it's hard for me to envision that happening which is a problem for the Braves. Uh, and we're going to get to why now is that you know the braves find themselves in a the situation of the rotations that you know we have faulty you know, sent off the roster. You know, his stuff had you know c- completely cratered, and there was some questions about you know whether or not he was kind of you know fully prepared or f- fully capable of being you know on the mound mentally. And there was a there was a lot of baggage there, and he was sent off the roster reasonably quickly, prop- which seems to have more to do with you know his, his service time and whether or not they wanted to be able to have his salary guaranteed or not. But they decided that they were going to move on from him pretty quickly. Um, we had a couple guys on the back end of the rotation struggling, and then the big news this week, and again, for a, a very uh, well-known uh, and devout fan of this guy, uh, Mike Soroka was injured, uh, and it turns out it was a season-ending injury, torn Achilles, uh, kind of a freak thing. you know. He you know plants his foot, and, and when he makes the turn to go cover first base, he just turns, and then his leg just gives out on him. Um, it was terrible, and, you know, you could you could tell right away there was a pretty serious situation. He had to be helped off the field, and it was pretty clear. And, and everyone was thinking pretty much the same thing, is that, you know, this looks like an Achilles injury. You know, it looks kind of like Grilly's injury. It looked kind of like what happened to Adam Wainwright as well, and as it turns out, that is what happens. Um, we've heard timelines that are, you know, if you're, if you're listening to like Dr. James Andrews, who was interviewed today, he's saying anywhere from six to eight months to kind of being fully ready to go. Uh, you've, there's also been folks who have said it's going to take longer than that, and we've had some ex- experience with some other players who was actually shorter than that. So you know, for the purposes of this podcast, I don't think Grant, – Grant and I are not medical professionals. I know this is going kind to of come as a shock to the folks out there because there are certainly a lot of quote-unquote expert opinions, uh, medical opinions out there as to kind of what to expect. Uh, we just kind of go with what we've seen in the past, and that ranges from, you know, he could be ready by spring training to this could go well into 2021. Um, and there's just no way to know anything until we know how the repair goes. So obviously this is a huge blow to the Braves. He was expected to be one of, if not the best pitcher in this rotation. So Grant, I'm going to kind of cue you in on this. What do you think are the immediate effects on the rotation in terms of who might we see now that we normally wouldn't have seen? And kind of for the longer term, you know, what are you kind of thinking in terms of call-ups, you know, kind of down the road in terms of how to kind of manage the situation?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a situation you never wanted to see. And there's just there's no way. And I think that whether it was Alex Anthopoulos or Freddie Freeman or Brian Snitker that we all heard from in the aftermath of it, There's no way to understate how big of a loss this is for the Braves, or or really to overstate how big of a loss this is. I mean, this is your number one pitcher. It's a guy who had shown last year he can throw in big games and situations. He looked great in his playoff debut. He made an all-star team last year. Most years he could have been rookie of the year. So it's going to be an incredibly difficult task to replace that production. They have Max Fried, which is terrific, But all of those other things, you laid out a lot of them. I mean, losing Mike Fulton-Evich now, which, you know, you mentioned a lot of the different factors that went with that. I think physically was the biggest factor. I mean, he lost five or six miles an hour on his fastball. And that in conjunction with everything else was going to make it very difficult to trust him. And in a short season, they didn't feel like they could do that every five days and, and roll the dice like that. But even making that move that quickly, you have Sean Newcomb, who's still trying to find his way back into rotation. You've also got Kyle Wright, who I know a lot of us are very high on for the pure stuff, and we've seen it in flashes this year. He hasn't been able to really start to give the club the length and the starts that you'd like to see. He keeps running into some trouble innings here and there, command-wise. He's still kind of, I think, polishing some things off. And the same can be said for Tuki Toussaint. It's not a question of do they have the talent. It's do these guys have the wherewithal to make the most of this opportunity and who's gonna step up because opportunity will be there. It is knocking right now very loudly on the door for Sean Newcomb and for Kyle Wright and for Tuki Tucson. I think to answer your question about what they do short term slash long term, if you're calling a sixty game season long term, I mean we're sure, gonna, sure I think names like Bryce Wilson, who's got some big league experience, has a ton of talent, hasn't been able to put it all together at the big league level I don't know when they'll make that call to go to some of the other names that are on the 40-man roster, in particular Tucker Davidson. I would love to see him get a chance, but uh, and same thing with Patrick Weigel and and a guy not on the 40-man that everybody knows, of course, is Ian Anderson. But I, I don't know, and Eric, I'd be interested to hear your take on this. The Braves have now walked beyond the rebuild stage to where When you have playoff aspirations and when you have won a division in back-to-back years, there's a very delicate balance between trying to bring young pitchers along and develop your players and let them take their lumps and and all of the things that we have discussed for years and winning baseball games and trying to get back to the playoffs. And I know it's easy from the outside to say, oh, well, it's a weird season. Forget it. Let's just focus on 2021. Well, try selling that in that clubhouse. That's not going to work. So, There's a lot of different nuance to this that I find to be a really interesting uh, series of events for the Braves. And again, the opportunities that some of these guys could have that ordinarily they wouldn't have because of Soroka, because of Fultanevich, and because of some inconsistency. But there is time to figure out what you have internally before you start looking outside to try to bring somebody in. It's just that bringing somebody in may not be as easy as it's been in years past. So I'm kind of interested to hear your opinion on that, where you'd like to develop these guys because they're certainly talented, but you know how much can you do that and hedge your bets on trying to win baseball games, which is where the Braves are now?
1: So I have a couple thoughts on this. One is that you're 100% right that selling in a clubhouse that was gearing up for a playoff run, that's what this team was built for, is to make make a run. But selling in that, what does it mean to punt for, or, or just to kind of look ahead to 2021? Right? Does that mean that we are you only play, you're playing young guys and you're just giving them major league experience and then you're going forward, or is that sticking with guys who are being ineffective in the rotation right now and understanding that you don't want to necessarily waste service time on a year that you feel like is lost? And that's the complicated part, right? Because when we were In the midst of the the rebuild, there is you know you don't want to necessarily be calling up all these guys, but you want to get them experience. Um, And is calling up a young guy is that a not? It's it's certainly an increase in talent in a lot of cases, but it's not as simple as just. You know, is this young guy, you're just getting him some experience, so he might be good in 2021. Uh Is he going to be better than what you have right now? And I think that that's what makes this turn in the rotation that we're watching right now really important. This is going to be Newcomb's third start. Uh As of right now that we're, watch- we're watching this game, he has a 745 ERA this year. And that first start that he had where, you know, he didn't give up a bunch of runs, it was an adventure at times. Now, if this is, if you know, and we've seen Newcomb be really, really good, and we've seen him be really, really bad, you know, is is this a start where things get away from him, or does it feel like that he maybe earns that next start? Uh, same thing for Tukey; he looked pretty good the other night. You know, we saw that curveball that we you know is you know something to really fantasize about if you really love pitching. Uh, but we saw a little bit of wildness too, and that's kind of what you're going to get with Tukey. And then you have right, as you talked about, is that the, you know the, that whatever it is about that second time through the order, and I've been saying this for a couple years now, it just happens all the time with him, and I wish I could explain it. It's almost like he gets. A little cute with kind of trying to paint corners with that fastball, and he doesn't have the command to do it, which kind of leads to these innings sort of spiraling out of control on him. Uh, whereas with those first couple innings, most of the time, we had one the other day where you know things were a little wild from the get-go. But you know those those three guys at the back end, and again with Soroka, we kind of have another slot that we have to worry about.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that.
1: Yeah, I mean, now there's four slots that you're just not 100% certain who's going to be taking those spots. Now, we know the guys that we're going to be trying out, right? Because, again, and you mentioned a few of those, the guys that I mentioned. I'm sure that – I mean, even Josh Tomlin might get a look at that in in that situation. Um, There's other guys on this 40-man that we haven't seen yet either. Patrick Weigel was a starter that was very highly touted. Up until he was injured, and he made his all the way back to get back onto the forty man roster last year. And then we have Jaseel de la Cruz, who hasn't even been mentioned as an option. Obviously, you mentioned Tucker Davidson's the guy that we really, really like too. You know, these are guys that are already on the forty man. This isn't simply you don't even have to make a roster move. Well, in terms of you know actually getting the guy onto the forty man to get these guys into the game. You know, all you do is have to figure out a spot in the active roster and the Braves have been really active and really proactive in getting this active roster into a playable condition, particularly with those guys in the long, you know, that can throw longer innings, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's options that are available to them. And I like the idea in a vacuum of kind of doing this piggybacking thing while you're figuring things out, because you have four rotation spots that you need to figure out and you don't, you know, you don't necessarily want to go, okay, this is going to be the guy that we start with on this day, and then if things go south, we just go and we just kind of tear through our bullpen because you have so many quote-unquote tryouts that you're having to do. The idea of piggybacking makes a lot of sense to me that you go three innings, and then you let the next guy through go three innings, and that preserves your bullpen somewhat, uh, yeah. and it's tough.
2: Let me throw this out there, too, and and I mentioned this some on Twitter because I think that the piggybacking thing is a strategy that they should take a very close look at in trying to especially get through this time where you lose Mike Soroka and now you've got even more innings you've got to cover, whereas before you weren't worried about that. Even if Soroka has his you know two bad starts or whatever it might have equated to over the course of his 10, 11, 12 outings throughout the year – that was going to be okay because you had more stability throughout your rotation. But as name, as guys started to, to fall out, beginning with Fulton and then with a little bit of struggle at, you know, say spot four and five in the rotation, and then you lose Soroka, it, it really has just put this pitching staff into a very kind of a, a critical situation to figure out a way to get through this until they can figure out who they can count on or what they can do to bolster the staff and bring it in. Uh, or bring somebody in to help. And I think the biggest thing that I would be concerned with is if you have a couple of those bad outings and you have to start playing those bullpen games, to to your point, that could also be a little bit problematic. And that kind of makes me wonder, well, do you hold the Josh Tomlin back rather than putting him in rotation, even though he's got by far the most experience of any option we've talked about? He's been great in his role. Um and I don't know that maybe there's another free agent arm out there that they'll end up taking a flyer on who's got some big league experience because at this point I think you try to you know put a Band-Aid on it wherever you can. But I do feel like there's got to be a bigger move, and I'm not sure Alex Anthopoulos is going to do it. I know that internally it would be huge if a couple of guys at least could step up. But as we've been doing the math here, it's not just two guys that need to step up. There's four spots in rotation that they're going to have to solidify you, you're okay, I think, worrying about maybe one of them, but it's really hard to worry about 80% of your rotation as you go through week after week and try to win baseball games and, by the way, get back into the playoffs and maybe advance out of that first round.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's going to be a certain amount of creativity that's going to be required of Brian Snicker as well, and like you know, maybe being open to some things that he would not, not necessarily be open to doing, and that's you know maybe you go to maybe you have an opener where you kind of go to and given the matchups, and that way you can kind of ease some of these other these other guys that you're trying try and try out and get some longer innings out of you know if you know that this team has you know three really good lefties to start or three really good righties to start, maybe you can kind of you know get get an opener to kind of get you through that first inning. And then maybe you can kind of ease these guys into kind of getting some more innings and getting some more experience. Um, yep. And and there's no, I, I wish I had a, a, an easy answer to this because you know people ask me all the time about you know when are they going to call up Ian Anderson, and Kyle Muller, but there's guys that are on the forty man that are starting pitching prospects that they don't know what they have in those guys yet. And if we're just being honest about it, Ian Anderson and Kyle Muller are currently playing in a situation and preparing for this quote unquote this tw- this 2020 season under conditions that we have not seen minor league guys get called up from very much or, or at all, and we just don't know what we're going to get from them. And Ian Anderson has barely any experience in double at AAA, and the same goes for Muller. These are both guys we really like a lot, but they're not – what kind of game experience are they realistically getting at this alternate, alternate site? And you really want to go this early in the season to one of those guys who doesn't even have a 40-man spot. So it's a tough situation, and one that I think that – I think that this this piggybacking scenario, where you kind of try to get some guys some some experience while making sure that you're not you're kind of limiting your exposure to them and not hoping that each one of these guys will give you five innings. If they can, if you think they can give you three, and then you can kind of reevaluate. Hey, he's really good for those three innings. Maybe we'll let him stay out there for the fourth, and kind of being fluid about that. That that might just be the best way to go about things. But you're right. I mean. of your rotation is currently in flux. So you kind of need to figure out with your 40-man roster, and you just need to be willing to leverage that roster this year, understanding that they're already on the 40-man roster, so you need to figure out what you have because this is a team that, you know, is frankly... They're not looking to go for a top-10 pick this year. They're looking for a playoff playoff run, and they want to win in the first round of the playoffs, and that means you need to figure out what pitchers that you have of this very deep roster of young starting pitchers that you have and figure out which ones are going to be able to contribute to your club, and if you can get to a, a full rotation that way... Great. If not, then that's when you kind of you look to your general manager and you go, hey, we don't have enough internally that we that is either ready yet or is good enough. And then you can maybe try to make a move here and there and try to leverage some of this minor league depth in terms of a trade versus, you know, have actually trying to make the move internally. I guess it's where my generally my head is.
2: Yeah, um, and I, I think there's a lot of merit to all of that. And the other interesting thing about making trades is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you can only trade from the player pool that you've set yep, for That, is, well. that, so is, that
1: not, is That is correct.
2: Yeah, you don't get to draw from, you know, 100 and however many prospects, 150 prospects if you go all the way down to Dominican Summer Leagues and whatnot. There is none of that this year. And a, a really good thing, a really good point that you made was, You are, if you call up guys from the AAA, or excuse me, not even the AAA, the alternate training site who should be in AAA that are not getting those reps, it's going to be a lot different, even in an empty house, to jump in and, hey, why don't you get some major league hitters out now? I, I think there's a lot of challenges that are built into that. So I would imagine that Alex Anthopoulos has been on the phone, might be on the phone right now, and will continue to be on the phone quite a bit to gauge what kind of interest and what kind of options he has in order to bolster this rotation. And it may not be going out and getting some perennial Cy Young Award winner. It may not be going out and getting somebody that is the biggest name. But incrementally, if he can kind of plug the gap for a while until a bigger deal comes along or a better deal comes along, maybe that's something we start to see. And I'm, like I said, I'm fascinated to see what this trade deadline looks like because it's going to be different than anything we've ever seen before.
1: I couldn't agree more. Uh, we're going to have to take a short break, guys, for just a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Ozzie Albies, Matt Adams, and the return of one Nick Marcakis. So stay tuned.
0: Hey, this is Jack Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the G Podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work
1: All right, guys, and we're back, and we are here to talk. Uh, we, we, we've talked a good bit about the loss of Mike Stroka. I did my absolute best to not, you know, hurt Grant's ears with my tears and, you know, cries out to the void, but... Um,
2: we, you did well. You made it through.
1: Uh, it was, uh, man, that, when that happened, it was it was particularly tough that night. I was like, I just, I, I got to step away from the computer for a minute. You know, I, it's, it's definitely better now, and obviously it's a fluke thing, and, I'm, I'm certainly very hopeful that he'll be fine, but you know, for, especially for me, who's known him, and by, by the way, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Too, um, you know, to have that happen to him was just it was absolutely gutting. But it wasn't the only injuries that we've had. Um, one has been kind of an on and off situation for the last few days, and one just happened last night. Uh, both Ozzie Albies and Matt Adams were headed to the injured list. Uh, these are oddly enough, these are situations where I think the Braves are actually a little bit more equipped to absorb their losses, at least in the short term. Uh, obviously when you lose a guy like Ozzy Albies who has you know is an all-star and you know is really good um from both sides of the plate as well as in the field he's uh losing him is a is a bit rough even though he has not been particularly good to start this year and Matt Adams is a guy that the team adds as a lefty bat and has has been a little hit and miss uh, but did hit a home run in the same game that he went um, that that he actually was injured in. Ozzy Albies is on the 10-day IL with a bone contusion in his wrist, and it looks like that Matt Adams is has a hamstring injury. And it seems like of the two, it's more likely that Matt Adams is going to take longer to come off the injured list. So Grant, kind of, what are your what are your first thoughts on kind of you know like how the Braves are going to have to handle losing Ozzy, uh, and you know do we think that Matt Adam the loss of Matt Adams is going to be a, a particularly big one for this roster?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, the Albies is the headliner of those injuries, and it was not a fun week on, on the injury front. You had the freak injury to Soroka. You knew that Albies was dealing with something. His swing didn't look right. And then all of a sudden, you've got him batting left-handed against a lefty on, what, Tuesday night against the Blue Jays in the series opener. And that, for me, that's when my, my ears or, or my eyebrows perked up a little bit, and I said, okay something is really not quite right if this is going on right now. And I think that that might have signaled to everybody, okay, he might have said he could play through it. We might have felt like he could play through it, but we're going to reevaluate this entire thing. And the next thing you know, you find Ozzy Albies on the injured list. And hearing from Brian Snitker earlier this afternoon before the game, he said it may be the 10 days. It may be longer. We may be dealing with this all year long. It's a bone contusion which is different than, say, well, he just got hit by a pitch and he's got a a big lump on his wrist or something. This is a a deeper injury in terms of what kind of pain he's dealing with. So I'm hopeful that it won't take an incredibly long time, but they're not going to have him do any baseball activities for a week, no hitting and no throwing. I mean, he can jump on a treadmill if he wants, but he's going to have to rest that wrist. And I'm sure he'll get treatment. I don't know if they'll look to do any kind of injection or if there really is an injection that would help him right now or if it's something he's just going to have to manage the pain uh, throughout the rest of the year and figure out exactly how much he can gut it out and if there's anything that they can do for him because this sounds like an injury that will just have to heal with time. It doesn't sound like a surgery needed immediately kind of thing. It just, again, it's something that is going to be present and they're going to have to figure out a way to get through it. So that's going to hurt the Braves from a variety of perspectives. He makes the lineup better. Defensively speaking, the partnership he has up the middle with Dansby Swanson, I think they're one of the best double play combos in the National League, if not all of baseball. They kind of have that sixth sense for one another. Um, and, and then clearly it takes away a certain energy from the lineup. and I think a, a swagger that's really valuable to the Braves and the style in which they play and Ronald Acuna Jr. is obviously a big part of that. But when you start to mix and match all the personalities that the Braves have, I think they're going to miss that, that energy that Ozzy Albies brings. He's always smiling, always laughing, but he's a, you know, really gutty competitor too. He plays much bigger than his size. And, and I think that that's something that they're going to miss. So you can plug in Charlie Culberson. You can plug in a Danny Echevarria. You could maybe run Johan Camargo out at second base some if you've wanted to go that route as well but they're going to have to kind of mix and match and figure that out, and the same thing goes for losing Matt Adams. The good thing is the Braves have a whole lot of options at DH, and all of a sudden, as you mentioned, they've got Nick Markakis back in the fold if you were looking for that lefty option to balance things out. The roster also, and this can can, always really go back to what we were talking about with managing the pitching staff as well, roster's going to drop down to 28 and I believe stay there for the rest of the season, but that's going to happen sooner than later. So losing a couple of spots also takes away some flexibility from you, and that may affect the pitching staff a lot more. But regardless, that kind of larger roster that Brian Snitker was working with right now, I don't think that they could afford to have Ozzy Albies just hanging out out of the lineup without making this injured list move, to make a long story short. So it was necessary physically. It's also necessary for the roster, and hopefully it's something he can get over sooner than later. Uh, but DH-wise, losing Matt Adams, you, you hate to lose a source of power, but they've got Marcelo Zuna they could slot in there. They've got Austin Riley. They've got Adam Duvall. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see Scott Shubler. I saw him briefly standing on the dugout rail, but that's about <laughs> it. Like,
1: yep. It's like Bigfoot. <laughs> Everyone's asking I, where I, that guy is.
2: I know he hit 30 homers a couple of years ago, but he hasn't gotten a chance to hit homers anywhere other than batting practice with the Braves. So I I don't know how they're going to manage that, but I know depth is a good thing and they got plenty of that to handle the DH spot. But, you know, you hate to lose Matt Adams. He seems to have a a way of finding himself in the middle of some big moments for the Braves. And, you know, that goes a long way, even if his, you know, batting average and some of the other peripherals aren't the most exciting. Some guys just find themselves in the middle of those things. And it's nice to have as many of them as you can.
1: Well, for a guy that you pick up, you know, basically like three days before the season starts, and having that lefty bat, he's he's certainly been well worth what they the Braves got for him. And you know, it stinks that he's gotten hurt because this is a team, this is a lineup that you know against against righties, you know, doesn't have a lot of the same flexibility. Although one of the ways that had helped that is returning, and what we'll kind of that's going to be a whole separate thing. Uh, a couple of things I did want to piggyback off of a second. You are right that the it's going to the roster is going to go to twenty eight soon and it is gonna stay that way the second the for the rest of the season. That wasn't the case until recently. It was actually supposed to be a second cut down to twenty six, but the league kinda but the league kinda got together and was like, hey, we need to keep this at twenty eight because having that flexibility is going to make a big deal for kind of these teams that are having positive cases. And they're also increasing the number of taxi squad options that you're gonna have from that rest of your player pool from three to five, which again is a big deal when you're considering you know, what the, the situation that we're all working with and maybe that will kind of help that flexibility and kind of not necessarily leave you completely hanging out the dry if something were to happen. But you know, you are a hundred percent right. That flexibility matters. I will say this, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to like try to like bang too many drums about this. I did not like how Ozzy's situation was handled because you know, look, all these guys, and I, the number of guys who don't fit this criteria, I believe is relatively small. Is that all these guys want to play even when they're dinged up? That they're, they're professional athletes. This is what they do. And they're, a lot of these guys that are playing right now, they know they're playing in adverse conditions and they feel a responsibility to their teammates, to their coaches, and to their fans to be out there. I understand that. But this, the Braves had sat him twice over the, over the past few days already. And if he was not healthy enough, to bat righty against a lefty reliever, I just feel strongly that he shouldn't have been out there at all. And you know that means if you have to pinch hit for him, and you you know the pinch hitter is this not a, a, a name that you're necessarily excited about having at the plate, then that's what you have to do. You know you have to kind of let you you can't let the player necessarily you know put himself in a situation where he could be in in further harm's way or that he's just not helping the team. Right. And sure. it's, a, it's a it's a tricky situation because, again, these are grown men and Snickers having to rely on them to tell him exactly what their situation is. Yeah. But it did bother me a little bit at the end of the game where Snicker was like, you know, maybe if the game was closer, we would have pinch hit for him. But as it was, I wanted to keep his defense uh, in a, in a route. And I just, I just, that bothered me, but I felt a lot better today. And again, Snickers comments after the game also kind of went to the, you know, we're going to really look at, you know, maybe shutting him down. We're going to see what our options are. So, you know, like, again, it was just more of a, in the moment, I was just like, you know, what are we doing? But it does feel like that they've, you know, kind of arrived at the correct track.
2: Yeah. And sometimes it's, It takes longer to get there than you may realize, but there are other things that are going on. And, and the really the, the crux of it that you hit on was that you are relying on these players to give themselves, uh, you know, or to give a proper accounting of how ready they are to play. And they're always going to want to play. And you don't want to make any kind of, I think, rash decisions where you would just. Well, we're just going to go ahead and put him on the injured list and and that is what it is when there's no tear, there's no break, there's no strain, there's no sprain. I mean, it just I don't feel like they could really figure out exactly what the problem was with it and is it so much so that he cannot play through it and he seemed to want to go out there and do it, which is the kind of competitor that he is and I think that the kind of competitors the Braves have in that clubhouse. So, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, every comment that comes from the manager is should be taken to the bank because I think in some ways a lot of it is some general lip service. And I don't mean this in a in a negative manner, but it's just coach speak. And I think that that was sure. kind of what we got sure. in, in the aftermath of the game yesterday. And that's nothing against Brian Snicker. I mean, he doesn't want to do anything that gets Ozzie Albies more hurt, you know, and, and oh, the absolutely. same thing. You go all the way back last year to Freddie Freeman. I mean, as, as we discovered after the fact, Freddie Freeman was a lot more hurt than Freddie Freeman realized he was. So these things happen, and and it's not ideal, and I just don't find it, you know, very constructive to make the manager the lightning rod for all of the criticism. But Brian Snitker, I can tell you this, already knows that that's exactly where it's going because that's one of the hats that he wears as the manager. You know, the buck stops and starts and stops with him because he's the guy that's making the decisions and. Uh, I don't think that somebody's going to shy away from, but I can understand that they needed to and realize that they needed to reevaluate after that at bat late in the game, lefty on lefty. That's something that, in my mind, I feel like that shouldn't happen. But I'm sure that he didn't want to call Ozzy back out of left hand batter's box as soon as he stepped up there and dug in to throw a pinch hitter out there who wasn't warmed up either. You, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a oh, lot abso- of abso- yeah, absolutely. Could he have been replaced on defense right after that? Yeah, he could have, but I don't know that the injury was really hampering him defensively speaking. And that might've been more of what that was. And this is just my, my conjecture from hearing from the guy and talking to him over the years. Brian Snicker does not have a, you know, a a negative bone in his body when it comes to to talking for or talking about and defending his players. I mean, he's, he's a guy that's in their corner, but it's, a nuanced situation sometimes with these things that the truth takes a long time to come out when you've got guys that they want to play and they believe I can play through this. I'm fine. I can get through this and I can get through the next one. And and, and that's just kind of the the nature of sports. So uh, sitting at the 30,000 foot view, I, I don't blame anybody for looking at it and saying, why are we doing that? But kind of being around in that, you know, dynamic that they have, I can understand why it ended up going the way it did and, I would actually say it could have gone on a lot longer and that probably would have been a lot worse, but they made the right decision. As you said, they got there and now they've just got to figure out a way to play without Ozzy Albies for a while.
1: Absolutely. And there's a mechanic this that we don't fully know too. I mean, it's entirely possible like ozzy has been, maybe he's been taking batting practice from both sides. This is one of the things that, you know, unfortunately given the, like the access situation, we're not seeing a lot of the things that would, might be some clues as to what's going on. Like if we saw Ozzy taking batting practice from both sides of the plate in the, in the cage, you know, and everything was fine. But maybe this is kind of a situation where it feels like that this could be something that flares up and is worse on some days than others. And maybe he figured out halfway through this game is like, I can't swing right handed this time. And again, you're right, is that, you know, once Ozzy steps into the batter's box, what's Snicker going to do? You know, just come yank him? Uh, you know, maybe that's the correct choice, but maybe Snicker was, you know, wanted to kind of see how it went and then kind of talk to Ozzy a bit about it. You know, and again, this isn't something that, like, we saw once we saw that at bat, I mean, I think we all were like, what is going on? But this isn't a situation where it carried off into this game, you know, the game that's going on right now or the following game. It's like, once they saw that happen, there was pretty clearly an evaluation process. they so like, okay, wait a minute. Like, you know, there's, this isn't something we can necessarily do and we need to figure out exactly how severe this is and maybe really take a, a stronger look at maybe sitting him down. And that, they, they did arrive at that correct choice. And I think it's important to kind of, Give credence to that, and the coach speech, the coach speak thing. That's 100 percent right. I mean, like you know, sometimes you know the the manager at the end of a game, when we don't have all the information, you know, or even if he doesn't have all the information, or they haven't made a decision yet, you know, you're going to get answers that don't necessarily reflect what the decision making process is going to be overnight. You know, they get more information, they all kind of talk about it, and they kind of figure out what the next course of action is. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable take to make. Now, we just talked about a couple guys who. Did get injured and are going to be off the roster for a little while, but we have some arrivals and there's some familiar faces. Alex Jackson was called back up as kind of this that, that seems more like you know, have an extra guy that knows how to swing a bat and is already on the 40 man roster, that sort of move, uh, especially being able to catch certainly helps. Uh, and then we have old friend Nick Marquekis returning to the active roster, uh, he's not in the lineup tonight. Uh, it's entirely possible that we could maybe see him tomorrow or possibly – I'm not sure if he – was he activated for today's game mean uh, he could possibly pinch hit later?
2: Yep. he's active. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, again, we could see him tonight. We don't really know. Right now we're in the top of the fourth, so feel free to send your angry tweets at me if, you know, <laughs> he ends up pinch hitting, pinch hitting later. Um I wanted to talk to you a bit about this because, and again, Snicker talked a bit about, you know, Marquecas is one of those guys that, you know, he could, you know, he doesn't need much preparation and that, you know, he was just kind of like born to hit without, you know, doesn't need, doesn't need a big spring training or anything like that to kind of get ready. So we can expect to see Marquecas, you know, whatever, however they were planning on using him, we could expect to see that pretty quickly. What sort of usage are you expecting to see out of Nick Marquecas? Are we just going back to what, He was being used at last year, which is basically batting fifth every day and being slotted into the, you know, the outfield, maybe having, moving Ozuna strictly to the DH spot. Or are we kind of seeing more, a more nuanced or a lesser role for him?
2: I think, if anything, he'll kind of slot into the playing time maybe that Matt Adams was getting at most. But I don't expect him to just be the everyday fifth place hitter. Doesn't mean he's not going to have some days in the lineup where, much like Matt Adams, he was hitting fifth in the lineup. And, you know, all of us could sit down and I'm sure draw up a lineup every single day that, you know, we would rather see or that we would prefer or that we wish somebody would try. We all do that. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, Brian Snitker is the one with the pencil and he's the one that writes these things in. And uh, for better or worse, the Braves have been a, a pretty good baseball team this year and the offense has been I think just fine. Again, on days Jacob Degrom doesn't pitch, but that's a league-wide thing.
1: So, well, yeah, <laughs> that, that's everyone's problem.
2: I can see Marquez getting some starts in left field, maybe a occasional start in right field, if you if you will. Maybe you put him in you know, later in a game if you move Acuna to center and you've you've pinch it for Ender. It, it's just it's depth and it's a left-handed hitter that they know very well. And beyond that, it's something that you know. Nick Markakis has been a part of this team for, you know, what, five, six years now, you know, coming into this season. So he's a known quantity. He's a teammate that has an incredible amount of respect in that clubhouse. And you can say whatever you want about those dynamics. But, you know, what we see and what we experience outside of that, very different than what goes on inside of that. It's like working for or being in an organization for a long time. You just you have a different relationship there and a different culture and the Braves culture very much. Nick Marcakis has been in the middle of that. And it's just been a quiet workman like attitude that he's had that I think people like that consistency. And so getting him back, not having a whole bunch of time or not spending two weeks getting ready. I'm not surprised at all by that. Keep in mind, this is a guy that had his wrist broken last year, had like one round of BP and was ready to come off the injured list. And what do you have four hits? in his return. So I don't know. I, I'm not shocked uh, by that whatsoever. I don't think he's going to get the kind of playing time he did. But if there is another injury or two, I think, again, you look at who are some guys that we have some faith in to get us through this. And I think Nick Marcakis will be one of those guys for them. So uh, getting him back is not a, an earth-shaking, um, you know, acquisition, but I think it's something that does make the club better in a variety of different ways. And I think it also injects the overall dynamic of the club, especially when you've lost your ace starting pitcher and you lose one of your most talented position players. It's going to be pretty nice. I think to have a morale boost like Nick Marquez just walked back in and people can think, okay, all right. Yeah, we're still, we're still good around here. Things are are still in a good normal place and things are going to be fine. It's just a steady presence and, Again, people can laugh at that or, or question that, and it's, that's perfectly fine. But I can tell you it carries some value. Whether or not he's in the lineup every single day, it means something to the 26, 28, 30 guys, whatever it will be at whatever time when he's around. It just does. And um, that's what he's brought to the club for the last few years, and he's been a pretty steady contributor. Not spectacular, but a pretty steady contributor.
1: Well, and that value in the clubhouse is certainly real, right? And I, I also I, I don't wanna discount too that for a team that has some struggles, at least on paper, against right handed pitching, Nick Marcekis is good at hitting right handed pitchers. And yep. that you know, that, that 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 is a positive development for this baseball club purely from a performance standpoint. And you know, having him in the lineup in that situation where now you have Freddie Freeman, uh in the lineup most days, and then you obviously you know Ronald Cooney seems to be good at just about against just about everybody, uh, and you kind you kind of have you know Mark you have Camargo that's a switch hitter who's probably gonna get more playing time you know as we kind of navigate the the woods of not having Ozzy Albie's in the lineup you know being able to have that guy in the lineup has a lot of value too, and I don't want to necessarily discount the fact that you know Nick Markakis is a good baseball player you know he's he is he is a good hitter. Uh, I do not think that for some people, and again, not not including President Company obviously, but there's certainly kind of a mythos behind Nick Markakis that you know is more of a, a an internet meme than actually that represents truth. But he's a, he 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 makes this team better. There is no question in my mind about that. And when he opted out, the team was worse. That is just fact. And you know, having him back on the team, we'll see what he looks like. Uh, I tend to you know think that he'll probably be just fine. But, you know, for a guy that's getting older and not doesn't have necessarily the same routine that he would normally get to getting ready for a season, I do worry about that a little bit. But not something that it's like I'm going to like necessarily lose a lot of sleep over. And one thing about Nick Markekis' playing time that we, we Brad and I touched on in the last show uh, wasn't necessarily about Markekis' playing time but kind of a, a – a a situation the Braves could find themselves in is what's going on with Ender and Ciarte because what's going on with Ender and Ciarte affects, you know, how much playing time he gets and, you know, whether or not that there's possibly a call-up that happens regarding a certain top prospect, Christian Pache, and kind of, or do you kind of slide things around and maybe that gets Nick Martakis more playing time too because Ender has not looked good at the plate. And I'm not sure what kind of, I'm kind of interested to see what your thoughts are. He's looked great defensively. He had that one game where he basically kept the Braves in it, from beginning yep. till end, but you know he's not exactly the same guy that he was defensively. Beyond that, uh, just to, again, just to my eye, more than anything else, I mean, looking at defensive metrics through the first twelve games of a season, this doesn't seem to make much sense to me at all. But he hasn't looked good at the plate. Uh, he's had stretches where he hasn't looked good, and he's kind of right at the ship. The 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 running joke about second half Ender is a well documented one. Uh, but I am kind of curious as kind of what you're looking, what you're seeing out of Ender. I uh, Had a, a pretty decent game last night, but other than that, it's like, a little rough at the plate, so I kind of wanted to check and see what your thoughts are. on: Are you worried about Ender at all in terms of his performance at the plate, um, or is there a situation where you might see his playing time diminished, especially given the return of Marquez, and that would uh, allow for a certain amount of shuffling to happen?
2: I think there's a lot of different ways you could look at it, and I think time is the biggest thing in this season because time is of the essence. You don't have the time if you're Ender the. Yep. CRC to have a, and I'm using the air quotes, bad first half, meaning you can't just have 30 you know, not good games and hit below 200 or right at 200 with no other contribution offensively and expect to be playing every day. And I'm pretty sure he's well aware of that as well. And I haven't really felt like he looks lost at the plate, but it hasn't really been a whole lot of line drives and and big things going on when it's come to his production thus far. But if he starts stringing a few games together, I think that that will... it's a confidence thing as much as anything with a lot of these guys. Yeah. The results are what we're all looking at and so are they. But if you start to see him string a few of those games together, where he's on base a couple of times, hitting a walk or whatever it is, a couple of hits, then I think you'll start to see that as Ender has been a little bit streaky, if you will, but in a good way. And he just needs to get on one of those hot streaks, which he's had quite a few of in a Braves uniform as well. And, that is going to be the number one way that he holds on to his playing time. But bringing Nick Markekis back, you know, the Braves' other center fielder, as we found out last year when Ender was out for a long period of time, is Ronald Acuna Jr. I think Ronald is twice the right fielder that he is a center fielder. and And maybe if he spent all of his time out in center and – You know, that was where he's getting all of his reps. He would start to improve and improve and improve over time. I just feel like he looks more comfortable in right field, and that's not a knock. I think he can win a gold glove over there. I think he's great. I think he plays a a perfectly serviceable center field, but there are just some plays I look at and I think, man, that's, you know, wonder if Ender would have got that or how would Ender have played that. And that, I think, is uh, one of those reactive things that comes from watching Andrew Jones for a long time. You know how long it took me to break the habit of, Wonder how Andrew catches that.
1: For N- <laughs> right, C- right.
2: Came after him, so it's it's kind of a thing that we do sometimes, and that it's totally not fair to the next guy when somebody great is not out there at that time. But um, I don't know that Nick Markakis necessarily affects Andrew Ciarte immediately. But to your point, if he does not hit, then time is of the essence. You've got to do what you can to keep your offense rolling. And I think that defensively speaking, that might be where Ender's role becomes a late in game guy that comes in and strengthens you in center field. You see Ronald move over to right field and you know, maybe it's Adam Duvall in left field. Maybe it's Nick in left field. I don't know. You know, you could start Nick out in the game, have him play the first six innings, have Duvall come in and play the final three innings. You've got options out there to have a good defensive outfield or a, a solid defensive outfield, but. I think it's best when you've got Ender in center and you've got Ronald in right. And Duvall and left, I think, is the best defender that they have out there. But, you know, they've got the ability to make all the plays. It's just how are they going to mix these guys in and out of the DH spot, deal with the matchups that happen for the starting pitcher and also later in the game as well. And the good thing is we're talking about a lot of different names and a lot of different ways they can tackle it.
1: Absolutely. And, again, it's – it's the. On the position player side, it seems like that there's a lot of really interesting choices that the Braves can make, and it feels like that they can absorb some losses and be creative in terms of what guys they're playing and when. And it doesn't feel like they're having to put something patchwork together, but instead it's it's an optimization and not necessarily something that makes you feel like that they're just desperately trying to make it through. Uh, whereas on the pitching side we're probably going to see some patchwork things happening until things sort of get settled in. Uh, Grant, I really appreciate you coming on onto the show. Uh, again, I've, I feel terrible that I kind of asked you last minute, but I, you know, again, it was one of the situations where, you know, we were trying to get a show and, you know, if I get the opportunity to talk to you about baseball, I'm going to do it. So I'm glad that you took the time. Uh, go ahead and plug whatever you're going to be working on right now. And if you have any other kind of last thoughts about kind of the upcoming schedule or anything like that.
2: Well, I appreciate you having me anytime I can be a pinch hitter, defensive replacement or a, a platoon against a tough lefty, I'm happy to do it. So thanks for uh, letting me jump on and talk about the Braves with you. I always enjoy doing that. And obviously I'm following everything you guys are doing over there on a regular basis as well. Um, really right now I've got From the Diamond going on. That, of course, is my podcast. I had a couple of episodes this week. Uh, each week I'm talking with Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, getting your latest Braves stories, and my buddy Bill Rowland. We talked about all the other kind of MLB action and storylines going on. Uh, occasionally we talk about the pandemic. I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but it's affected pretty much everything. So usually a conversation about that. Uh, also this week was the 30th anniversary of Dale Murphy being traded to the Phillies, and I interviewed Murph back in April when I went through my worst Braves trade bracket, and he did not win that, but he was uh, a very solid, I believe an Elite Eight competitor in that bracket, and Murph gave me the full – story about how he ended up being traded from the Braves to the Phillies, everything that was going on with him uh, for his career, with his health, all kinds of different stuff that I think a lot of Braves fans might find pretty interesting. So diamondcom you can hear it there. You can also find From the Diamond on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and that's pretty much what's going on with me these days, and i uh, just kind of watching this Braves team, seeing how they're able to put things together, and and navigate through what is a very unique 2020 season, and I think we've all got our eyes on October. That's what everybody's kind of been waiting on since last year it didn't end so well. You want to get back there and make some noise in the postseason. I'm hoping this Braves team can do that.
1: Uh, and especially thinking of finishing out the season is kind of what my first hope is. Uh, and I think that we're all you know crossing our fingers and toes that the yeah. they able to make it. Sure, uh, everyone, please make sure that you subscribe to Grant's podcast from the from the Diamond. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's a great Twitter follow. Uh, again, really appreciate you coming on. And, th- folks, if you're wanting to continue to listen to the podcast and you're not subscribed to the podcast feed, make sure you do that. Uh, we're on the same feeds. I'm pretty sure we're on all the same feeds that Grant is, Stitcher, Google. Uh, iTunes, whatever your preferred podcast purveyor, we are very likely on there. And if we are not, make sure you let us know, and we'll do our best to get the podcast listed there. Subscribe. you get the Road to Atlanta podcast, which is on basically hiatus right now because we just don't have much minor league baseball to talk about right now. But that's our podcast where we talk mainly about minor league baseball, uh, where I am the main host of that. And then you'd also get this podcast, which is the mostly – uh, headlined by one Brad Roland who couldn't be here this evening. Uh, you can follow Brad on Twitter at BT btroland. Um, and, you also, and I'm a pretty frequent co-host slash guest uh, along with Scott Coleman. Uh, obviously, we have fo- fo- fine folks like Grant. Uh, young Gabe uh, Burns has also been on the podcast, you know a lot of other. We try to have guests where, where we can. Uh, it can get a little bit. Uh, interesting in terms of playing traffic op, but who gets to talk first because we all just like talking about baseball but we thoroughly enjoy it we appreciate all the sports the podcast has given if you have a chance make sure you give the podcast a five-star review and until next time
0: Hey, this is Chuck Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Property Podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work